So I hope you're all starting to settle in a little bit. I heard that at least for some of you last night, sleeping might have been a challenge. As I heard, at least on some parts of the building, there was some music happening all night long. So some of you might have been kept awake by that. Um, It's just sound. It's just sleepiness. And so, you know, just working with the conditions as they are. So this morning, um, I'd like to offer some instructions during this time. And um, as I said last night, the technique, actually, that we're exploring here, there's not a lot of actual instructions. And yet there's... um, there's quite a bit of context that's really helpful to have, to explore. And I just uh, just to check in with you, Marilyn, there, there are some things that will help you to hear. If, if you, there's a device to help you to hear, would you like to, to use that? Right now I can hear you. You can hear? Okay. Okay. It is being amplified, yes. And there's a speaker not too far from you. Yeah. So you're okay that way? Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, minimal in the way of actual technique, and yet I would like to offer you some information, some context for how we practice. And... Um, kind of the... Uh, the orientation with which we practice. As I mentioned um, yesterday, for me, actually, this exploration of relaxation at the beginning of a sitting is a hugely important aspect of the meditation practice. In terms of um, a technique or a tool, you know, relaxing the body and mind begins to put us into the frame of mind which can be receptive and which can uh, start to explore our experience in the direct moment with much less tension and reactivity. And so um, I almost always begin my retreats both my own retreats and when I teach, by encouraging this exploration of relaxation. When I was first starting to meditate, I was really wanting to do it right and really was trying to do the meditation. And what um, one of the perspectives that we begin to recognize here is that when the, when the body is relaxed, first of all, when the body is relaxed, the mind can be more relaxed. And when the mind is relaxed, it begins to very naturally be aware. That when the body and mind are relaxed, awareness is more accessible. A natural awareness is more accessible. And so to start in practice, in the first few days of practice, in the first um, 
part of the retreat, it's often helpful to consciously relax at the beginning of a sitting. You could do that kind of in the way that we did last night with the body scan. Um, at, at times in my practice, even as the retreat goes on, I found um, sometimes the body and mind just get into a, a tense place. And I've spent an entire hour just consciously relaxing, consciously relaxing, consciously relaxing, and found that to be the most helpful thing that I could do at that point in the retreat. In general, as the retreat goes on, the need to consciously relax will go down, in general, but as I said, it it sometimes... uh, it can happen that midway through the, through even a six-week retreat, I was on a six-and-a-half-week retreat, and midway through that retreat, I found it really helpful to consciously relax at times. As the retreat moves on, we tend to, uh, rather than consciously trying to relax tension, we begin to explore and get curious about the tension itself. We open to the experience of tension, observing it and noticing what happens as we observe it. But to begin, it can be really helpful to consciously relax. And as you relax, and we'll do this a little bit later in a guided meditation, I'm going to just take some time right now to just talk about the practice. As you consciously relax, um, really helpful to see how does it impact the mind? What happens in the mind? The body relaxes, but what happens to the mind as the body relaxes? Often you'll find that as the body relaxes, there is a corresponding settling that happens in the mind. And so relaxation is a great place to begin the practice. Any practice, actually, I found. Concentration practice, I like to begin with relaxation. It be, it sets the frame that really the... the um, way that we bring our attention to experience, the most skillful way to bring our attention to the experience has a combination of relaxation and alertness. And I think in our daily lives, we've learned a kind of, uh, that we, we kind of believe or have a sense that those are contrasting opposite qualities. Because when we are alert and we're focused in doing, our mind tends to be a little geared up. It's possible to be both relaxed and alert. And so that is, is like a, a beginning part of the exploration here in this practice. And, and pretty much in any meditation practice, that combination, seeing, recognizing how one can be attentive to experience, both in a relaxed way and an alert way, will allow the meditation, the practice to unfold in a very natural way. The Buddha emphasized um, three primary qualities in the uh, Eightfold Path. I mean, the Eightfold Path really encompasses what we're doing on this retreat. The Eightfold Path, starting with wise view, wise intention, 
which is the wisdom aspect of the path, and I'm, I'm offering some of that framework right now, the wisdom of how to practice, the intention with which to practice. Um, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. Well, we're just engaging with that here on retreat. Um, wise speech, we're practicing noble silence. Uh, wise action, wise livelihood, we're, we're basically living for this period of time as um, kind of temporary monks and nuns. And this is wise livelihood for this duration of this retreat. We are, our, our lives are oriented towards the practice moment to moment. It's not the only form of wise livelihood, but it is a form of wise livelihood and wise action. And we're following the precepts, which supports the, uh, this component of the Eightfold Path. And so we have wise view, wise intention to frame the whole path, the way to engage this kind of orientation of directing our awareness, our attention towards why do we suffer, towards understanding suffering. That's a kind of a simple way to frame what, what wise view is, a perspective that helps us to understand suffering in the moment, how it's created, how it passes. So that's our kind of basic frame for wisdom. And the sila component, the ethical component, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, helps us to engage in our lives, in our day-to-day activities here in a way that doesn't actively, outwardly create harm. And so from that perspective, we can begin to engage in the inner work of understanding how the, um, the struggle, the conflict, the difficulty, the pain, the... All of the afflictive emotions are created in this mind-body system. And the, the Buddha had three primary um, tools in the Eightfold Path. Tools or practices or factors. Wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And this is one of his expressions of the tools of practice. He had many different ways of describing it, but this, these three factors, how, how do we apply our effort? Um, wh- wh- uh, what, are, what is mindfulness and what are we mindful of? And uh, what is concentration? And, and cultivi- cultivating these three qualities from the perspective of wisdom, not just in general cultivating energy, not just in general cultivating mindfulness, because as I said yesterday, we can cultivate mindfulness and put it to other purposes. A, no, a kind of neutral way to use mindfulness would be like in a sport or something like that. An unskillful way to use mindfulness might be in ro- robbing a bank or you know, breaking into somebody's home. The perspective that will lead to freedom from suffering is the kind of uh, effort, the direction of mindfulness. We, we apply our mindfulness to understanding our minds, to understanding the suffering that's arising in our minds. And so wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration all have this perspective of wisdom embedded in it. 
And practically speaking, I'd like to talk a little bit about how those three factors are explored in this practice. I'll start with mindfulness. In um, a kind of a kind of a basic definition or capacity of mind, a way to describe what mindfulness is from a an everyday perspective the way somebody could understand it on the street would be basically that capacity of mind that knows what's happening while it's happening the self-reflexive capacity of mind it's an ordinary capacity of mind. It's one that just naturally happens. It naturally arises, this, this, this capacity of mind. And it can be directed towards many things. This, uh, we can be aware of many different kinds of things, and we can be aware with many different kinds of intentions, as I just mentioned, around different, different intentions for paying attention playing basketball, understanding your mind. So there's different, different perspectives for mindfulness. In this practice, um, one of the, one of the um, most helpful pieces that I found in terms of Mindfulness is to get to know what the experience of being aware is like. We all actually know this experience because it is a very ordinary, natural capacity of the mind. And yet we don't usually think about or uh, explore what the actual experience of awareness is Instead, we are more interested, usually, at least in our everyday mode, we're more interested in what the mind is aware of. We're acting on what the mind is aware of. We're doing things with what the mind is aware of. And we less often are simply noticing, I'm aware. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I'm aware. It's so ordinary. It's so... uh, kind of like transparent, like the air we breathe, it's like there, this, this capacity to know what's happening in the present moment is so, almost so obvious that we miss it entirely. And in some ways, I think it was one of the, the brilliant pieces of the Buddha's mind and his teaching to point out and say, wow, you know, actually this capacity of mind is really helpful, really helpful to cultivate this capacity to be aware and to be aware of that awareness, to know that we are aware, to get familiar with this experience of awareness. So this is one part of our practice, to begin to get familiar with the actual experience of what does it mean to be aware. And initially, when we first start this exploration, it, was, it, it felt a little mysterious to me. It's like, yeah, I know that I'm aware, but... Awareness itself, I'm not really sure I understand what that is. I know that I'm aware, but how do I know I'm aware? And what is this experience of awareness? It was less 
obvious. And so initially, uh, one of the kind of explorations is just to check in. I mean, we just recognize, oh, we know we're aware. Right now, do you know you're aware? Do you know that you're aware? How you know that you're aware, that's, that's actually enough right now. Just that you know that you're aware. Don't try to figure out what awareness is. Just recognize, you know, okay, yes, I know that I'm aware. Kind of like for me, over time, that simple recognition, I know that I'm aware, began to um, accumulate the understanding of what awareness is. And so it's not something that we have to do or figure out what awareness is. But just recognize, okay, am I aware? Yes, I know that I'm aware. If you even can ask the question, you know that you're aware. But checking in, you know, am I aware, actually has a point because it does begin to point us to this aspect of the mind itself, becoming aware of our minds. And this retreat is called Mindfulness of Mind. We do practice with all four foundations here. And yet the mind is what does the work. The mind does the work of meditation. And so beginning to get familiar with what the mind is, how the factors of mind work, helps us to move our minds in a direction of skillfulness, in a direction of, of cultivating and growing beautiful qualities of mind that support our... Uh, are letting go of the ways that we struggle, our habitual tendencies towards greed, aversion, delusion. And so we, we cultivate the beautiful qualities of mind, of love, of compassion, of wisdom, of mindfulness, of tranquility, of happiness. And partly we cultivate those qualities of mind by getting to know their opposites. And so first, first of all, with mindfulness, just beginning to get familiar with this aspect of mindfulness itself, knowing that we are aware. And then awareness will always be aware of something. This is, this is a piece that uh, we'll probably talk about this a lot this week. Um, when I encourage you to be aware that you are aware or know what the awareness is like. What What is mindfulness? It's not so much that I'm asking you to turn around and look at mindfulness. It's not this kind of movement of turning the attention back. To me, it feels more like stepping back and recognizing there's mindfulness and there's something that mindfulness is aware of. And uh, we know the mindfulness we know the awareness because it is aware of things. It's kind of like looking through glasses. Most of the time when we look through glasses, those of you who wear glasses will have an understanding of this perhaps more than those of you who don't, but most of the time we look through glasses, we're not really aware of the glasses. We're aware of what we're seeing out there. But we can, you know, especially by kind of being familiar with what it's like when the glasses are gone, we can know what it means to be looking through those glasses and kind of step back and, and understand, yes, glasses are present right now. The eye is 
seeing because the glasses are there, or the, the eye is seeing in this way because the glasses are there. And so it's because of the knowing of the objects that the mindfulness is understood. So it's not a turning back to see, oh, what is mindfulness? That's, that's, that's kind of, that, that tends to produce headaches, <laughs> that trying to turn around and look at the mindfulness itself that way. But a stepping back is more uh, the feeling for me. It feels like kind of stepping back and seeing there's what's known and then there is the mind that is knowing the experience. So there's that we are aware and what we are aware of. Another aspect around um, mindfulness itself or the functioning of awareness is another factor of mind called attention. Attention is happening all the time. Attention is the factor of mind that picks up on some experience. Like right now, I'm going to ask you to direct your attention. So notice the sensation or the contact of your, of your buttocks on the chair or cushion or bench. You can, you can direct the attention that way. Notice the experience of your hands. Again, you can direct the attention. You can choose what you're paying attention to. And we know that experience because of the the mind and the attention. Now direct the attention to the sensations of your lips touching. Were you aware of that sensation before I suggested you pay attention to it? This is another aspect of the power of attention. When the attention is not on an experience, we don't tend to notice the experience. So there's the, uh, when I suggested you direct the attention to your lips, the sensations often just pop in. There they are. So that's the factor of attention. Now, attention happens all the time. Every single moment, the mind is attending to something. Whether we are consciously directing it in this way that I just suggested, you know, paying attention to the sensations of your buttocks, paying attention to the, the contact of your hands, the sensations of your lips, that's choosing consciously. I was suggesting but you were participating in choosing where to pay attention to experience. This is one way that we can bring our mindfulness to our experience is to pick an object. And this is a way that many meditation practices proceed. We choose an object to pay attention to. In this practice, in general, as the practice moves on, we are not consciously choosing what to pay attention to. We're not consciously picking an object and saying, that's where I'm going to put my attention. Instead, we are a kind of exploring, opening to where is the mind naturally paying attention? 
Because, as I said, this aspect, the mind is always paying attention to something. The mind is always paying attention to something, and there's forces in the mind that tend to draw our attention to various experiences. And this very movement of the attention being drawn to uh, various experiences in our in the present moment, is often the very place where we get lost in meditation. You know, we, we start by paying attention to the breath, and a sound happens, and we don't particularly notice that the attention has shifted to pay attention to the sound. And then we go out that door of sound and start thinking about the sound. Oh, that's a bird. I wonder what kind of bird it is. So this uh, this movement, this dr- drawing of the attention, is often a place where we tend to lose our awareness. And this practice asks us to see if we can track or follow the attention. So rather than choosing where to direct the attention, we watch and see where is the mind naturally drawn. When we can uh, track that and keep present for that, we can bring that capacity of wise attention, wise mindfulness, wise, uh, wise awareness to what is happening in the present moment. So we start checking in, am I aware? And what am I aware of? To highlight both aspects of the mind and what the mind knows. We can use questions to do this as a way to help ourselves meet the experience. Am I aware? What am I aware of? I'm not trying to find the answer to those questions, but allowing the... Um, question to just kind of serve as an orientation. I found the questions very helpful early in the practice. And then there gets to be a place, some of you have done this practice quite a bit, you know, there gets to be a place at times when the mind just understands what it means to be aware and to, to follow the attention. So that's a little bit about mindfulness. And we'll talk a lot about this over the course of the weeks. And then effort. Well, the first time I went to practice with Sayadaw Utejaniya, I went in for the instruction period with him, the instruction session with him. And uh, he said the very first instruction he gave to me was, The only work you need to give your mind is to remind yourself to be aware. And so this is uh, kind of the direction that effort goes. We simply remind ourselves to be aware. Prompting is a way we can talk about that. Prompting our mindfulness. Reminding ourselves, when we are mindful, reminding ourselves, connect, notice, awareness. What am I aware of? Awareness, what am I aware of? At the beginning, 
we have to remind ourselves a lot. And yet, it's not like it's not like this kind of effort is a grab onto the experience. I think very often, um, especially you know, we move it, we go to a sitting meditation. It's like okay, forty-five minutes. I need to be aware, and I'm. Oh, it's like we try to pick up the entire forty-five minutes right at the beginning of the sitting, and bring the effort we need to stay present for the whole forty-five minutes right in the first minute of the sitting, or even the first second of the sitting. And so we tend to contract and hold. It's kind of like we're thinking about lifting weights. It's like, I'm going to lift these heavy weights. And um, that kind of effort doesn't allow for that relaxed alertness that I talked about right at the beginning. So the, 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 the moment, it's, it's just the momentary effort to remind yourself in a moment, am I aware and what am I aware of? In a split second, am I aware? Right now, am I aware? Are you aware right now of your feet? Are you aware of your hands? How much effort does that take? Usually it doesn't take very much. Are you aware of your lips touching? Oh, there they are. How hard was that? It's not very hard to notice just for a moment what is happening in the moment. If you just, am I aware? What am I aware? In that moment. That's the lightness of the effort. It's a light touch to the effort. And then do it again. And again. And again. So it's a light touch, a little tiny bit of effort, just the lightest bit, just enough to know what's happening right now. And then right now. The effort is a kind of a very gentle persistence, very gentle, gentle reminding yourself to be aware. As that gentle persistence goes on, a a natural momentum begins to develop. We need to kind of get familiar with what that natural momentum of awareness is. It's like at at a certain point you notice, oh, am I aware? And there's a kind of a sense of almost riding a wave of awareness. And then we 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 get familiar this is the art of effort in this practice we get familiar with how frequently we need to remind ourselves at the beginning we have to remind ourselves a lot every few moments just reminding ourselves just this oh light touch light touch light touch what and now what's obvious that's another way i like to frame that well, what's obvious What's obvious now? Am I aware? And what's obvious? Just who? The light touch of that. And at the beginning, frequently reminding yourself. As it goes on, you'll find, you'll begin to get a sense of that momentum, and you don't need to remind yourself as frequently. Maybe every five or ten seconds you might need to remind yourself to be aware. 
So that's one aspect of effort. And another aspect of effort has to do with what we're experiencing because we often have a, an, a, a relationship to experience of wanting either to create some experience, creating a state of concentration or creating a state of... Um, we're heading to something and we, we're trying to create something. Or we have a relationship of trying to get rid of something. It doesn't matter what you are paying attention to. Whatever is happening in the present moment, if you can be aware of it in that moment, that is the perfect place to cultivate mindfulness. Even if it's something that is like, well, I'm aware, but I, I like don't know what I'm aware of, or wow, it's like weird. I don't know what's going on, and it's like let it be weird. There's awareness, and sometimes it's just very clear. There's very obvious experience, and sometimes sometimes it's like I'm aware, and hmm, okay, let it be weird. <laughs> let it be what it is and that's that's just fine that's just the level of effort just not trying to control or manipulate or change whatever's happening sometimes we can surrender mind we don't try to stop what's happening we open to what is happening what is already here so the effort is just that gentle persistence to notice what's already here. Concentration begins to develop very naturally when mindfulness and concentration come together. As we are mindful moment to moment to moment, as the um, gentle persistence creates the momentum of mindfulness, that very momentum of mindfulness is concentration. It's not, in this practice, a one-pointed concentration. There are different kinds of concentration. One-pointed concentration tends to develop when we direct our attention to one experience. We pick the breath, for instance, and notice the breath. Notice when we're not on the breath and come back to the breath. This is a very helpful practice. It's, it's not what we're teaching on this retreat, it's not the direction of the of the concentration that we're cultivating on this retreat. The ki- that so that's one kind of concentration, one pointed concentration. Another kind of concentration, very powerful concentration that that develops develops because of the stability of mindfulness in the present moment that can be aware of changing experience. The mind is stable, the objects change. With one-pointed concentration, the mind becomes stable and the objects become the object becomes really stable too. So it heads towards tranquility and stillness. In this kind of practice, the concentration has the sense of stillness of mind and yet there's a very dynamic sense of the experience, of the flow of changing experience. And so we cultivate the kind of concentration that allows the mind to be stable 
steady, present for what's happening, not caught and picking up or lost in the uh, variety of experience. This is one of the places where this practice really begins to point out our minds. I mean, I sometimes say this kind of uh, retreat, we could, we could, I could call it instead of mindfulness of mind, it could be your mind 101. You really get familiar with the patterns, the habits of your mind as you watch the flow of experience. You begin to understand where your mind kind of picks up on things and wants to head out the door. Where it has the habit of, of resisting or holding on. How fear is created and how aversion is created and how greed is created. We get to see that in this practice. We're not bypassing it. We're not, we're not trying to not go there. We're trying to open to and understand how that happens in our minds. And this uh, stability of mindfulness begins to allow us to see how these qualities, how these states happen in our minds. And that begins to develop the wisdom of of basically understanding how suffering is created in our own minds. The very wisdom, that wisdom is what allows the mind to shift direction and change its course, begin to let go of those habits and patterns. So the concentration we're cultivating here is the stability of awareness. And we get familiar with what it means for the mind to be stable, the awareness to be stable, and the uh, objects to be changing. The kind of key is that we're not lost in thought. It doesn't mean that things that, that we're able, that we're staying with one object. It may be just very quickly, you know, sight, sound, body sensation, emotion, just whoo, do, do, really quickly, changing experience. And yet the mind is very present for all of it. That's the form of concentration that we're cultivating in this practice. It can be somewhat, for some people, and it depends on the mind, certain minds... Um, are more comfortable or more, you know, familiar with settling on one object. And it's, in some ways it feels like the, the concentration happens more quickly when you pick one object. For some people it feels like the concentration happens more quickly when you allow, or more naturally, when you just allow the mind to uh, be with what's happening in the flow of experience. So some of you may find this to be quite... Uh, natural. Some of you may find it to be a little more challenging. In general, the settling of the mind may be a little slower than you're used to on some retreats because we are not trying to stop the movements of mind. We're trying to get familiar with them and to bring awareness to them. And so the mind will wander, and in fact it may seem to wander more than you're used to. Some of that might be actually that the mind is wandering more, and some of it might actually be that you are simply more aware of the mind wandering more. This actually happens. That actually as the retreat goes on, you may notice more and more thoughts 
as opposed to just like waking up occasionally in the midst of thought, you're noticing every two seconds, there's a thought, there's a thought, there's a thought. This actually indicates that the mindfulness is getting stronger because you're seeing your thoughts. And we will get lost in our thoughts. And so how do we work with that? How do we work with the wandering mind? In the first place, if the mind is lost, if it's thinking about something, wandering off, there's nothing we can do about it. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) It's only when a kind of spontaneous re-arising of mindfulness happens in the midst of that wandering, that there's any possibility to do anything. And so the moment when you notice, that moment when you notice that mindfulness has returned, that's a really crucial moment. First of all, it gives you a real good highlight of the distinction of what it means for the mind to be lost and what it means for the mind to be aware again. So it points out, it highlights this quality of awareness right there in that moment when mindfulness re-arises. So that's a great place to begin to explore that aspect. What is awareness? It's very, what is this mindfulness? What is this knowing in the moment? What's happening? So that moment that the mindfulness returns, you can get a, a sense of that quality. And in that moment, because mindfulness has returned, there is something that the mindfulness is knowing already. In that case, it's often a thought. You've woken up into some state, some thought. There's nothing to come back to in that moment. What we, what we do in that moment is connect, kind of try to consciously connect. Oh, awareness has re-arisen. What is awareness aware of in that moment? That's, that's the, maybe the more, as we get familiar with the practice, how we will relate to that moment. Just the arising of mindfulness. Oh, and what's awareness aware of in that moment? When the mind has been wandering, thoughts are really powerful. Thoughts are pretty potent. They um, uh, create all kinds of things in our mind. And so if the mind has been wandering, particularly if it's been wandering for like, you know, even as much as 10 or 15 seconds, as little as 10 or 15 seconds, it's very possible that where the mind has wandered has changed the landscape of the mind. An emotion, some different state of mind will have arisen. And so what have you woken up into? The mind has wandered into all of the things you left at home and what needed to be done. You may, may wake up into anxiety, tension. Just notice that. That's what's there. It can be helpful, especially early on when you wake up, reconnect with relaxation if there's been some tension that's been uh, happened. Just allow that relaxation. And then just, and what's now? And what's obvious now? And what's obvious now? At the beginning of retreat, especially for those of you who are new to this practice, it can be helpful in that moment of waking up. Take a moment to see if you can recognize what you have woken up into. And if it's 
if you're feeling like a pull back to the thinking, this can be a time when using some kind of primary object or some kind of anchor for your attention to help keep you in the present moment can be helpful. If you're feeling a pull, if it feels hard to, in that moment, waking up into thought, there's kind of a pull back to, oh, but that's really important. I really have to figure that out. And it's hard to stay mindful. It's, it can be helpful to change the channel and just pick something. Pick some obvious physical experience, usually some kind of physical experience, to help you be present again, to help you reconnect. That's if it's hard to just simply connect. Oh, mindfulness. What's obvious? What's obvious? What's obvious? So this is a time when it can be helpful to use a primary object. And so, you know, I've been talking about the awareness and the objects, the things that we pay attention to. And I'm going to take a minute right now, a couple minutes to describe that language of mind and object because we'll use that a lot. It's a, it's a language that uh, seems to be in the meditation world. We talk about objects of attention, and sometimes the word object sounds kind of strange if you're not familiar with it. What an object is, is some experience that's arising in the present moment. It will happen at any of the six sense doors. It'll be a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, a touch, or some experience happening in the mind. It might be a thought, might be an emotion. Whatever, when, when we check in, what's obvious in this moment? Whatever that is, whether it's a body sensation, a pressure, a tingling, a tightness, a pulsing, a heat, a coolness, whether it's a feeling of something pleasant or unpleasant, a sound, that's an object. The mind knows the object. Awareness knows the object. The awareness is a a function of mind. And the mind can know a mental object. It might be that fear is the thing that's obvious. Well, there's the fear and there is the awareness of fear. So we talk about the, the awareness as being the mind and the fear as being the object. Now this relationship between the mind and the object is a a key place of how we cultivate wise view, how we cultivate wisdom. Um, As I said yesterday, Sayadaw sometimes says, awareness alone is not enough. We need to bring wisdom. And the basic wisdom, practically speaking, is cultivating an attitude of attention in which the mind is at ease with whatever objects are happening. a way of observing. Wise attitude is a way of observing that allows you to feel at ease with whatever is happening. And so we explore not only awareness and what is known, but what else, what is our relationship to what's happening? We can do this also by asking a question, what's my relationship? What's my attitude? to experience. There's, there's, um, um, there's fear arising. You know the fear. There it is. You know the fear. And you're observing 
the fear. You know the fear. You're observing it. So you know that you're aware. You know that there's fear. So fear is the object and there's the mindfulness. What's the attitude? What's the relationship to fear? You may, in checking in that question, asking that question, get an immediate answer. Again, it's not trying to figure it out. You're not looking for an answer. Drop in the question and see whether there becomes a clear understanding of what that relationship is. If there's a clear relationship there, it may just be very obvious. Something along the lines of, there's fear, there's the awareness of it, and the attitude might be, this fear is a problem and it needs to go away. Maybe that's the attitude. Often, attitudes can be hidden from us. They're like they're behind the curtain. They're like the, you know, the wizard and the Wizard of Oz, you know, the, the thing behind the curtain is manipulating the lovers. When that um, attitude behind the curtain is not seen, it's actually doing the meditation. That attitude, this fear is a problem and it needs to go away. When that attitude is not seen, it's informing the way that we are paying attention. When we pull back the curtain, recognize, oh, there's fear and the mind thinks it's a problem. That attitude then comes into consciousness and doesn't have as much power to pull the levers and manipulate the way we're paying attention. Essentially what happens in that case is that the, uh, that attitude kind of goes from being behind the scenes, being kind of the whole way in which we're observing, to instead being an object itself. We can see, oh, there's fear and there's this thinking it's a problem is happening. And there's awareness of that. So we cultivate right attitude by exposing wrong attitude. We cultivate right attitude by getting to know the ways our mind kind of manipulates and uh, has opinions about things and agendas about things and likes and dislikes about things and aversions and greeds about things. So we're not going to simply have wise attitude by deciding to have wise attitude. We get to know what wise attitude is by getting to know the ways in which the mind is bringing its agendas to to what we're experiencing. So we'll talk about this a lot. I'll probably talk about this tomorrow evening. Um, so there's, f- I'll just mention right now, there's four basic flavors of attitude. Just have uh, most of the attitudes that happen would be in one of these four camps. There'll be either a flavor of greed, of wanting something, a flavor of aversion, of wanting to get rid of something, a flavor of delusion, of confusion, of not connecting, of not really seeing what's happening, 
Or we have balance of mind, wise attitude, equanimity, ease with what's happening. And so when checking the attitude, we may find one of those basic flavors. And sometimes when we don't see an attitude, it's kind of like we check attitude and it's like, hmm, don't know what's there. Check and see if calm is there or interest is there or ease is there. Sometimes these flavors of wise attitude are a little more subtle. They're not as obvious as greed and aversion. It's also possible that delusion is there. And we'll talk more about delusion in some time, in a few days. And so um, that's what I'm going to offer this morning in the way of basic instructions. Um, what I will do is um, allow, uh, we'll, we'll let you work with these instructions because the instructions are actually identical for sitting and for walking. <laughs> In walking, we simply, am I aware? What am I aware of? From time to time, checking the attitude. Checking the attitude is something helpful to do oh, from time to time. I, I find, you know, I don't know, we we begin to intuit our way into checking the attitude and it becomes a very natural part of the practice over time. But initially, as you're just beginning this practice, I'd say, you know, every few minutes, check the attitude. Not like, you know, Every time you notice, am I aware? What am I aware of? What's my attitude? And what's my attitude? And what's my attitude? And what's my attitude? It can kind of feel like an endless regression or, you know. So just from time to time, check your attitude. Begin to get familiar with noticing that. And so with walking, um, we cultivate awareness while walking. We cultivate awareness while sitting. We cultivate awareness while walking. We cultivate awareness while brushing our teeth. We cultivate awareness while eating, while doing our yogi job, while washing dishes, while cleaning a toilet. We cultivate awareness all day long. This light touch, moment after moment. Am I aware? What am I aware of? Not having to have any agenda of what we are aware of. Just what's here is fine. That's the, the, that's the, the compost that we're working with. What's already arising? Am I aware? What am I aware of? Light touch. Instructions are the same with uh, walking. Now, there is a little bit more seeing happening with walking, so the objects are different, and often we do tend to get lost out the eye door, and so it's really helpful to cultivate that familiarity with, with seeing. So one interesting thing to explore in walking um, and uh, uh, is th- is kind of the distinction between uh, seeing, which is more this receptive mode. And in this practice, we're ta- talking about you know attention can be going out and choosing what we're paying attention to, or rather settling back and receiving in a way what the at- uh, attention is already attending to. So there's kind of a receptive versus directed mode of awareness. And in seeing and hearing, we can also kind of be interested in the distinction between seeing versus looking and hearing versus listening. 
And in walking, that's an interesting place to explore. You know, you're, you're walking and, you know, just walking and there's, you know, you're noticing the body moving and you're noticing, you know, just moment after moment. I'm aware and what am I aware of? Aware, what am I aware of? And as the mind um, notices things in the visual field, you may from time, you may kind of feel like you're kind of wandering through uh, a changing landscape of sight and then suddenly, you know, there's a bird that flies across your field of vision and boom, you're looking at that bird. The attention has naturally gone there. That's the kind of distinction between seeing and looking. So you can explore that distinction in walking meditation a little bit. So we'll have about um, 45 minutes for walking, and then we'll come back at uh, 10.15, and we'll do a guided meditation. I'll do a guided meditation at 10.15 to help you um, explore this practice in the sitting meditation a little bit more.